Hey guys, welcome to Minefield. Joshua Minefield is calling. We're going to do a simulcast with Star Trek The Next Generation. Colin, cue us into the uh, name of this actual episode. Uh, this is Q-Who. The, in Season 2, during the writer's strike, took place in, uh, what is it, 1988? And uh, there were some issues and some cost-cutting measures, and somehow they pulled this out and made it one of the... Made, made one of the uh, they finally found a way to make their serious antagonist for the whole series. Well, uh, this is awesome, but I don't mean to be an asshole, but this actually was on May 6, 1989. Is it 89? 89. Ah, you see, they would have been filming this season with scripts that came out during the writer's strike because no new content could be generated if they were going to stick with the plan with the WGA. So, uh, so they got some scabs. <laughs> no, they didn't. They had scripts left over. Uh, somehow or another, they developed new material. Yeah, this might... I don't know if Maurice Hurley, he's the director, but he had a lot to do with this. That's a good question. Oh, I don't know if oh, he was he, WGA or not. Maurice Hurley wrote this, but Roddenberry had his fingers deep in this one. Yeah. Well, I think the, th I mean, the writer's strike back then, all, all of season two, if it was released in 1989, they were filming it during 1988 and that's when the strike was happening so they probably didn't have more that more of a bank than like five or six episodes at a time i'm not entirely sure you know i think what i need to do to verify this is check out the uh, star trek the next generation companion and um that could answer a lot of these questions also i'm sure memory alpha which is a wiki page um would have a lot to say about this i'm guessing or we just find some like Hollywood prostitute, get her seduce John Delancey, and uh, get a, get our get his phone number. We'll just oh, call man. him in the night. We should just take the Star Trek cruise. <laughs> he'll he'll be there as long as he's there. Mm -hmm. And as long as he's like doing like really wacky stuff, like like hanging out in the engine room for no random reason, smoking <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> You know, you know who rules though is, uh, and, and I really appreciate character actors. I really love them. Colm mm -hmm. uh, Meany. This guy oh, yeah. is a amazing character actor. Yeah, I mean he's he's yeah. I mean if you're gonna play an Irish guy, speaking of which, it's uh, St. Patrick's Day for anybody who cares. Uh, and uh, yeah, we he, care. He plays virtually all of the time an Irish guy, except even though I don't think like in Con Air. That he played an Irish guy, he was still probably, you know, Irish. <laughs> well, my point is, I loved when Riker came in and said, hey, you should probably leave. He's like, oh, I'm going to go take a nap in the corner. <laughs> Are I'm you talking about attention. pen pals? Yeah, pen pals. I love that. I love that. I'm going to go take a nap. Man, yeah. We're basically talking about two episodes. Pen yeah. pals. And we're about to watch... Uh, Q-Who? Q-Who. Yeah, right before we started talking about this one, I made a note. Because uh, uh, Joshua called me while I was driving and was like, oh yeah, we should do one today. And um, he said he's already deep into season two. And uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff that goes on there. Obviously, dropping Dr. Crusher, unfortunately. The whole cast was really kind of irritated about that. Patrick Stewart, in particular... Dude, are you vaping, or are, is something else happening? Are you Darth Vader? What's happening? No, I'm vaping. Okay. Uh, the um, 
bringing in um, Diana Muldoor to play Catherine Pulaski was a switch that one that they that happened at the producer level, and um, to this day, I don't think anybody's come up with a really excellent reason why to do that, except that they were trying to recreate the the Kirk Spock. Dr. McCoy dynamic and I it just never worked um, I was hoping that they were doing like 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 uh, crushers the, the 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 character that actually played crusher was actually pregnant or something like that I figured oh no. they were trying to write her out for just a little bit keep her job get someone in because they they don't ever actually give the new medical officer a, a main title the way they did crusher they did like if you if you watch this you'll see she's always the in also starring Person. Oh, sure. They like, didn't stick like, her in the main title card. Never, during the intro. never. Okay, I got you. Never, never. They did that. So that that always give that 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 sense of uh, temperance. But uh, well, hmm. I, right. I I I didn't like her until she saved uh, Picard's life when his heart you know was stopping, and uh, that was awesome. Yeah, I like her in the the uh, the one with Thomas Riker, Riker's dad. What was the name of that episode? Oh, I don't remember, but I just love the fact that of anyone that could have loved that man was her. And then the way she gave Riker the insight into, listen, you don't know jack shit about your dad. Like, you got to calm the fuck down. You got to go make your amends, go fight it out, whatever you got to do. Your dad, what, like, did everything for you, and you don't know it. And that that just gave me chills. I loved when she fucking laid it out for Riker. And Honestly, that was some of the best acting... Her on screen with the performer portraying Thomas Riker was uh, I guess I'm sorry Kyle Riker. I, I digress. Uh, uh, Thomas Riker is what Riker's transporter duplicate will start going by after they solve their thing. Kyle Riker, guys. Um, there was one thing about the scene when Kyle came into the main mess hall mm-hmm. where everyone's drinking. And Ten forward. That's the bar. He he didn't scan the room with his eyes. Like he didn't even notice that his son was at a different table that, that really perplexed me. You're, you're on one starship knowing that your son's there and you're there to make amends. And he goes into the bar and he doesn't even scan the room. But what he does find first is his ex love. Okay. That's, I've never thought about it like that. That could be, a consequence of the director not giving him that direction or the actor not thinking of it. And it could also well, be that it wasn't written in, but more they could, they could have said, no, he wouldn't do that because he's not a, because he's a civilian analyst. Um, interesting. I've never, I've never thought about that. It, it made me think about that time you and I went to the blue note and I'm scanning the room through the window, making sure that hoping that no one I don't like is there. Mm-hmm. And I, come across a girl that's looking at me and I'm like, Hey, wouldn't it be funny if her and I had hooked up and, uh, I've had some head injuries and we get in and the first thing you do is like, Hey, you start fucking with me. <laughs> Cause yeah, what, me we had it. Yeah. You, <laughs> what was I doing? <laughs> yeah. I had hooked up with that girl and you remembered it better than I did. And you brought me right up to her and I'm like, hey, you know, do you know Joshua oh, Michael? The, I knew who she was. <laughs> I have to talk to her right away because we had just worked on a show together. Oh, in no, the last you, like you, nine months. No, she's not no, gonna were, not 
she's gonna think it's weird if I don't come up and say something. Yeah, but you were fucking with me, and you knew it because I said it right before we got in, before we get our dollars, and showed her IDs. I'm like, why is she looking at me? And, and you just laugh, and you you literally grabbed my hand and dragged me over there because you were fucking with me. <laughs> I don't remember that, but okay, I don't. I'm not it, gonna say I didn't do it. Well, it was awesome. <laughs> All right. I was way bigger and way cuter than the guy she was sitting with, and uh, it was nice to see someone look at me in the way that you'd look at someone like, wow, you were really good 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. <clears throat> All right. Well, then, uh, <laughs> so that's what we should feel like when we walk into a room with an ex-love, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Let's progress. We're... I, before we start it, I do mm-hmm. want to say... It is uh, March 17th, the day mm-hmm. after March 16th, the oh. national holiday, Stone Cold Steve Austin Day, and I have probably have a concussion. Me and my friends had a lot of, a lot of alcohol last night, beers. Uh, Goddamn, his wife made us smoke like two blunts. It was crazy. And then we go into his basement. It looks like a fucking like a porno scene, like there's a bed and a couch for some reason. And me and, and his roommate just beat the living shit out of each other. And then I woke up on a couch this morning. Luckily he lives a block away. There was no cops to stop me from driving drunk, which sucks. And, uh, I just woke up about an hour ago and Colin and I are talking about Star Trek and it's glorious. I will be victorious. <sighs> Let's do it. I'm at zero zero zero. Listeners, subscribers, we're at zero 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 on this particular episode on Netflix. What was the title of the episode one more time? Because literally, my my yeah, my brain is a little scrambled. This is our St. Uh, <clears throat> Patrick's Day subscriber content: Star Trek: The Next Generation season two, episode Q Who. So, obviously, um, Harry Mudd is going to be in it. No, Q, everybody. <clears throat> so, yeah, we're going to start it in uh, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, engage. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a nice-looking ship. Okay. Yeah, Sonia Gomez here. Uh I don't know. This Okay, I'm going to start with this. My problem with this episode, there's a lot of things I love, and there's a handful of things that I'm not super into about it, but mainly my problem with this episode is the pacing. Um, really? Yeah, like, it does, just doesn't flow like so many other episodes. It's, uh, you've got this start out, leading into the next thing, leading into the next thing, but it never really ramps up until the last couple of minutes when... Obviously, you know, the Borg ship is chasing them. If you're watching this, you've already watched it. I take that you've already seen this episode if you're watching us. Agreed. That, so. that, that, was, the, that was the deal. Uh, I, watch, I watch it. I think it's important. We talk about it and discuss the writing. And you tell me everything I don't know about anything. Well, I'm talking about our subscribers. Um, here we have Sonia. She's drinking her drink in the engine room. It's a very solid, obvious ensign right there. Mm-hmm. Don't know what to do. I mean, very solid. I think I've seen her in other shows, but I just can't recall necessarily. 
This is one of those rare times we see a a, a wet Starfleet oh. uniform. <laughs> yeah, this is your fault. Why'd you let this idiot bumping into me? <laughs> and she's like, she's not even like, she's rubbing him without a towel. I love that. Like, nothing her hands are doing is helping. She's just li- literally rubbing the captain's chest. <laughs> I seriously think about all of the inconvenience that these characters would experience in their 24th century lives because there's what do you do there's not a towel dispenser anywhere in engineering you know think no. about every machine shop or every uh, you know somebody who's been on in the US Navy who's worked in an engineering compartment uh you know there's going to be this is a starfleet ship so obviously it's supposed to be ultra ahead of us but what do you do in this instance? He's going to go to the lavatory, wherever that is, whatever that is. There's got to be one right there. And then how do you dry off your uniform? He's not. He's just going to go change. I feel like a dummy, but what uh, polymer or plastic or cotton are the actual suits made out of? Space age <laughs> materials. They never exactly <laughs> say. These costumes were actually uh, a bit of spandex, a lot of polyester. You can see, like, there, there is a certain... I'm going to say, th- like, rigidity to this material. It's thick. It doesn't breathe too well. Uh, the actors were really frustrated about that. And then Captain, P- I mean, Patrick Stewart in particular, we've talked about this in a previous uh, uh, simulcast or whatever you want to call these, uh, that he, he developed back problems because these things were so form-fitting to him. And that's why in season three they started wearing the uh, two-piece uniforms with the collars. Okay, so it was originally there were onesies originally that zipped from the front. No, they all pretty much zipped from the back. But from season two, they they oh, yeah. became two-piece. They become two-piece, and you'll have some of them that zip in the front, but you have most of them zip in the back because then you don't want because you didn't want that seam going up the center of the, the yeah the uniform jacket. But then you'll get some wacky episode where they like the one where they introduce uh, Ro Laren, uh, actress Michelle Forbes, and she takes off her uniform jacket and puts it on a little girl that's a refugee. And um, you're like, okay, so this is indicative of some completely different thing in Starfleet uniforms, or this is showing that they have an invisible zip down the front of them. It's just kind of wonky. But uh, I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, it's just, it's, you don't get a really good impression of what's going on with their uniforms. However, there's one episode in, like, I don't know, a couple of seasons where you see Deanna Troy going through her morning routine. It's at the top of the episode, and she, you see her pulling the zip up the back to seal it. So that, and this is her civilian counselor thing, not her sixth season right. Starfleet uniform. I mean, yeah, that's an interesting question with a lot of content behind it. I think people have, it's the same question. How do these people get in and out of these uniforms, let alone where do they go to the bathroom? I loved how we just saw Q just (laughs) take him hostage and spin around and give him that look like, hey, welcome here. Uh (laughs) It's me. (laughs) It's me. So this is part of that pacing I don't like. Look, we, we just, Q just showed up whisked the captain away 
And here we are back with this situation, and this is a very slow conversation. And they're going to go into these tight one-shots. There you go. Look at Jory, like a real tight shot. And then they're going to cut back to Sonia. And they're going to do this. It just, it just eats up time. And I feel like... I feel like they, if you're gonna if you're gonna get away with doing something where you're adding a new character who's supposed to be comic relief and it doesn't work, then why is she sitting here being like heady about her position in Starfleet and all this excitement she's looking forward to? She looks like everyone's. If I was gonna make an action figure of everyone's crazy ex girlfriend, that is <laughs> that is who I would make it look like. <laughs> I will say. I appreciate that they brought in a woman of considerably, probably Latin background because we hadn't seen anything realistic along the lines of that yet in the series. And um, even if they couldn't do anything with her being comic relief, they could have kept her for a while. Uh, isn't that the guy? More. Isn't that the guy that guy in the server right now that was uh, part of a uh, Wesley's uh, team? From a couple episodes back, when he, he was uh, taking charge of uh, um, I the say. mineral, the the mineral, the mineral analysis. Right. Yeah, I couldn't say. I don't know. Uh, that looked like that was um, Braveheart to me. There's a uh, a guy, There's a uh, a background performer. Michael Braveheart was the actor's name, and he would he got named as Martinez in one or two episodes. Uh, Dr. Crusher would spout off his name now and again. I love the look of apprehension on Guinan's face when mm-hmm. something is wrong. I and I didn't realize how old she was until this episode, but she can feel like that dread. The something is something is here that oh yeah is uninvited and the fact that the bartender is messaging the bridge. Okay, that that stuck out big time for me. Yeah, it's neat because she's something like 500 years old here. And uh, she's just, you know, she's, as we're going to see, she's had dealings with the Q, whether or not, honestly, I think it probably is John Delancey Q, uh, as opposed to other members of the Q. I, I love how much fun you can see he's having being Q. Like, you oh. can just see how much fun. He this, is having. This is a juicy character for anyone to play. I don't even feel like he's acting. I feel like he's just playing the way like we would play GI Joe, like as a kid, like fighting sure. at the fighting at the uh, playground. Yeah, totally. That, that's the fun he's having, and he's not even trying to act. But that's the beauty beauty of it because the uh, uh, the dynamic between. How serious all these Starfleet characters are as compared to what Q can do, you know? He's like, yeah, I'm going to be playful. I'm going to be impish. And even Troy, look at this. Troy comes up. Something's wrong. Yeah. I think that she is capable of, like, there have got to be characters all over the ship who have such a personality that for them to be absent from their day-to-day, she would be able to sense that. Yep. I mean, imagine the vibe coming off of Wharf all the time. Imagine the... I 
God, that's an interesting point. You know, she senses emotions. It'd be weird to think of her like <coughs> sensing the absence of emotions from Data. <clears throat> but Worf, Riker, you know she's got some. She's got that sixth sense all the time. <laughs> I think you're a second or two behind me, man. Not a big deal. Look at Worf's ban- uh, sash now, also. You're in, we haven't done a season two episode yet. Um, so his uniform completely changes, of course, because right? uh, uh, Tasha got killed by Armus, the skin of evil. And um, his, his baldric sash is completely different. And now, technically, much later, they would say that those two... Uh, Baldrick's on his sash are the House of Moog Baldrick's. That is a weird, a weird camera shot right there. Well, they used to have fun. Yeah, it was just strange because it was like, I was watching the Star Wars marathon last night on, uh, what is it, TBS or whatever. And yeah. the aspect ratio was different. And so that shot just looked like it had a weird aspect ratio because they weren't focusing on the center of the Enterprise. It's just an odd decision to make. Now, before we started talking about this episode, you brought up that uh, Q is pestering Picard. You know, oh, you're wasting time and I'm timeless. I'm like, then just sit there. Just sit there and be quiet. Did you ever read Alan Lightman's... Einstein's Dreams? No. It's a really good book. Every chapter is about a different aspect of uh, things that could happen in physics. And there was one where uh talked about people who are immortal. And they don't tap their pencil. They don't nervously chew on things. Stuff like that. They know that they're immortal, so they never... They take long lunch breaks. They sip their coffee and enjoy the hell out of it just because they know they're never going to die I always wondered at why Q didn't act like that but it's because he's an impish cartoon character that he's got to do that you know he has to go that's the perfect word for impish yeah okay so this is coming up here this like defensive stance that Guinan takes against Q I love this does it mean she's pissed yeah does it mean she has an extra power we aren't aware of and that she never does anything with? Here it is. Look at that. She puts up that. But It's like anti-voodoo or something. And I wonder if she wanted to do this because she had done something a lot like that in the color purple. Whoopi Goldberg, that is. Well, at the same time, though, I love the fact that Picard resigns himself to Guinan's uh, instincts. Right away. Right away. Like, he's so smart about it. Like this one is mad. Like like the way you the way you, like you trust a dog that didn't like a person that you just let in your house. The dog is freaking out. Not that I'm comparing a black woman to a dog. I'm just, just saying, Oh boy. Like, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I, I obviously could animals have a days, sense. You could say it's horse sense even. Well, I just got to make sure that people don't think I'm being an asshole or racist. I'm just saying the, right. the way you, you, you would trust, like, when a baby doesn't like a person or when totally. a dog is, like, she. But he resolved in, he, he resigned himself to her fear. And was like, yeah. Well, Homeless? Yes. The other members of the Q continuum kick you out. Not all the Q are alike. 
Oh, she's, so he's already been kicked out. Uh, you've already seen that episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's like, listen, you shouldn't be here. You need to get the hell out of here. And I don't care what any of these assholes say. You need to leave. See, I I'm, love her resolve. This is another thing that is a pacing thing. And I, it, it, it's not, I'm sorry, it's not pacing. It's a contiguous aspect of the show. Why is 10 Forward empty except for them? Unless Q wanted them to be alone there, I could get that, but nobody ever said it. You never see 10 Forward empty except in a handful of times where it makes sense. So unless this is after hours or they were on red alert, I don't know why it would be like that. Yeah, because she wasn't serving anybody. There wasn't someone that scrambled yeah. out because she some ruffians showed up. Bar. Yeah. At the same time, they're worth leaving. That's that's odd to me. Well, they I, asked I, him to go. They asked him to wait outside. Even then, I would still imagine him outside the door, just snarling, ready to kill something. I think you're right. But if you put him, you put him on a detail, he's going to be happy to do that. Because he's like, oh, I've been told by my superiors. I'm going to go do it. But what what really, I know it's a stupid thing, but what really excites me about it is the way that the doors shut behind him. They looked appropriately realistic, and I think it was because the director probably knew, hey, we're drawing the eye line to that, so we need to make sure this looks super smooth and 24th century-ish. And he's still standing out there. We can still see him there. So, so Q wants to be part of the crew. Obviously, but like at the same time, though, he, he can't be part of the crew until he cements himself there. And that's what he's trying. I think that was the whole purpose of this episode was to secure, like, just trust me. No, I just said it. We don't trust you. Look at that expression. It hurts feelings. <laughs> yeah. But why would they? That's the beauty of it. We trust Guinan. She's mortal. The, we can the bartender understand six her. episodes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you get the impression, of course, you in particular, with your specifically limited perspective on the series that Picard and Guinan have a very long history that has not and doesn't really get explained properly. I will say that they do try. Uh, in season what six or something, but um, I never really liked that one as a as a reason. I feel like this guy is like an evil leprechaun, always there, just watching and trying to warn them. Pretty much. I definitely think that Q is always trying to get them. He, he's, you know, the Q continuum is concerned that humanity is, and not not the Federation necessarily, but humanity is on a like warp speed trajectory to being way more powerful and amazing than they should be on their course of progress. But he's got the best humans as examples of what humanity should be. Like right, the Enterprise. The the Enterprise. When you're watching the Enterprise D in particular, what you're seeing is you think about all these planets and you're the best of the best from that planet and you got to go to Starfleet and it made you something better. 
So you get assigned to any old starship, right? The right. best of the best of the best get to serve on the Enterprise D. And I, it, yeah, if we hadn't been yapping over it, I'm pretty sure Sonia Gomez said that earlier. Well, that's why – yeah, she did. And that's why Riker chose to stay after he was given uh, the opportunity to uh, have his own uh, command. Like, yeah, think about you, it. it. It's pointless. Like, why would you want to leave a perfect system of humans right, and, and, and aliens that are perfectly functioning and exploring things and always succeeding? It, 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 leaving would have been so terrible. Yeah, he would have got some shitty little ship. He would have been his own captain. He might have been able to succeed later on. But what really matters is if you stay on the Enterprise, maybe you'll be the captain. And he deserves it. And I know Data ends up being the captain of the Enterprise, uh, but Riker made the right choice. I don't know where you're getting your information from on that one, but... Uh... Oh, did I, did I have incorrect information? Yeah, Data... Data is only ever characterized as the captain of the Enterprise in the, if you want to take it as canon, the, the uh, video Star game? Trek countdown yeah. uh, comic books that followed. They, they came out after 2009 Star Trek, chronicling the events that took place that got Spock into the J.J. Abrams verse. Uh, but if he was in the start, you know what? I've never played that video game, so I don't have the first idea. Yeah, I was told that. Ooh, here we go. Mm -hmm. Oh, here we go. Yeah, here we go. This is it. This is the beginning of the Borg right here. Now, they're in the Delta Quadrant, obviously. For anybody who doesn't know what that means, uh, if you draw a circle and you do a plus through the circle, you've got the Alpha Quadrant in the lower left-hand corner, the Beta Quadrant in the lower right-hand corner, then the Gamma Quadrant in the upper left, and then the Delta Quadrant... In the upper right. The Delta Quadrant obviously is very far away from the Alpha Quadrant and past the galactic core. So getting there, not easy. And should, by all accounts, take almost your entire lifetime if you went there at consistent warp speed at top speed. Past 9 and 10? Yeah, well, not 10. You can't. You're not supposed to be able to travel warp 10. But um, the uh, this is also uh, – this is another complaint I have about the pacing. Just get her to the bridge. It's funny, though. Look at Guinan's got a – Guinan's got an office. The only time we ever see her office. And then she's so mysterious about it. She's like, she says these little dinky pieces of information about it instead of slapping her hands on the table and saying, let's get out of here, warp 9.9 immediately. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> One of those great shots of Jordy seeing the, uh, the dilithium containment chamber immediately behind him and the Borg coming in in a transporter pattern that we've never seen before. I wish that every now and then they would let us see what he sees. They, they do in like a couple of episodes. And then you see, see it for a second in uh, Star Trek First Contact, the movie. I just wish it was a consistent gimmick they would, they it would really show. It would have been cool. I think so, yeah. 
So where's the rest of the engineering department? Uh, they're okay. They're all hiding. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're scared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some asshole showed up and he's looking at all the computers and stuff and uh, know what the hell to do. So what I dig about the Borg here is this is the only time we ever see this particular costume that I recall. Yeah, and this the, looks different from what I've seen in the movies. The movie, the movie Borg, what you've got is you've got Next Generation Borg limited by their wardrobe and makeup department. By what? By their budgets, because that's TV budget versus film budget. And then when First Contact came out, they said let's let's make them look specifically different because we can afford to make them look totally alien now. And then they went ahead and they took what they understood about them and they started doing different things in Voyager also because they encounter the Borg over and over and over in Voyager and they're a lot more. Uh, you know, feature film quality on that right. series. Did they reuse any of those uh, Absolutely. Uh, costumes? Yeah, the costumes are fascinating. <laughs> when I was working at the uh, Star Trek auction, you have, uh, I don't know if anybody knows what this is, E-crates. You have these gigantic cardboard uh, boxes that are like double and triple walled, and they're just really heavy duty. And um, you would have like a couple of different Borg costumes in one E-crate. Because hanging them up didn't work very well. Everything else was hung on industrial strength or, you know, standard family-sized coat hangers in bays of shelving. So if you look at this board, you see the parts of them that aren't covered by, I'm going to call it, technology. This yeah. is a thermal, a black-colored, thermal, uh, form-fitting, like, uh, thermal underwear type of thing. And... They had all of these elements that they added to to them. They all these tube wraps and stuff like that, and pieces that were uh, affixed to Velcro placements that they stuck in on the arms and in other places. Or you'd have bits and pieces that wrapped around and snapped into place, or even tied into place. So what we're not seeing on these Borg in particular are lights. So in the feature films, and then later in. Uh, Voyager, you started seeing lights on the board costumes. And those lights were powered by uh, rechargeable Makita battery, uh, Makita-like drill battery. And um, I don't remember what voltage they were. Uh, but uh, it was kind of cool because even after, what, 10, 15 years? I don't remember how long it was when I was working on that. It was like 2000. Six when I started working on that auction, uh, to what 1997, 98 when First Contact came out, uh, the 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 little lights worked still and they would click on and off or they would fade in and out and stuff like that. But because by that point most of those board costumes were made out of molded foam rubber that were painted, um, they were starting to degrade in uh, a lot of ways. Especially if they'd put them in there and folded over the foam rubber, just disintegrated, started cracking. But uh, people paid top money for them because they were bitchin' costumes. <coughs> the ones that show up in, in the uh, episode, the two-part episode Descent in the middle of the seventh season were yeah. still much like these. And um, 
For anybody who wants to know, yes, we did have a Locutus of Borg, a Patrick Stewart uh, iteration that um, probably was not the one that was featured in the Best of Both Worlds parts Part 2, but um, was the one that they made for his appearance at the first episode of Deep Space Nine. I always love Captain Picard just going, hmm, right there. He's a beautiful man. It's pretty awesome. Go back and check him out in Dune if you've never seen it. I keep telling you I haven't seen it, and I'm probably not gonna. I'm just kidding. You know what we're gonna do is we're gonna freaking watch it together. We're gonna. I'm gonna commentary it. Yeah. Gosh, she's so hot. Sorry, guys, my head hurts. All I can say is stupid stuff like, "She's hot." This is the only time I ever remember seeing that. I guess neon red, red. wrap around that that uh, screen in the background. That is a great love, model. Mm. How big do you think that was? Maybe like what the cube? Yeah, well, like the model that they actually had to make. Like, I, I obviously it's probably. Um, you know what? I actually have a magazine that says so. I'll have to get back to you on that because I don't want to get up and run over there and get it. But the Enterprise, man. I mean, they made like. Uh, they made different enterprises for different camera moves, and uh, they may have had like their four foot model. Oh, this is a great shot! This great effects piece right here. So this piece that they're pulling out of the Enterprise from the saucer, that was sold at auction in the Christie's auction. Laser beam is slicing into the saucer section. A laser beam. Kind of funny that it doesn't move any faster than that, too. With whatever force necessary, terminate that beam. Fire when ready. Anyway, so uh, I, I I just don't know the answer to that question about the size of the ship, uh, in relation, but it is out there. The information is out there. I'll I'll post it in the blog. Tractor beam is released, sir. Force field is maintaining our hull integrity. Damage report coming in, sir. Sections 27, 28, 29 on decks 4, 5, and 6. Destroyed. It's kind of crazy that it only stopped right there, but I guess the beam couldn't possibly go through every level of the saucer section. So they only pulled out what they could. And then it's also another problem of pacing. Like, okay, so we just lost a section of our thing, and then we shot the ship, and we blew out a portion of it. And what does Captain Picard do here? Conference. He's like, let's go have another meeting about this. No, you're not going to leave the ship. Why are you? Why aren't you running away from this thing? You can't get the shields up. Divert power from anywhere you need it. Anywhere except for life support. No, no, it, w it wouldn't help. The circuits that control the shields, they've been fused. If you can't reprogram, then reroute. This is kind of cool because we have this relative newbie character actually being a little bit whacked out about the situation. And Jordy, even though he is a lieutenant... He's still a bridge officer, and he's like, no, this is what we do. I've only been out here a year and a half, and I, I still feel, you know, I know where to put my head. I know where to keep my focus. Joshua, did you get assimilated? 
I'm pausing it. And I'm going to tell you, I just, I just want you to see what I uh, Sorry. I'm messing with our pacing now. I just want to say, when Q pops out of this chair and the chair bounces around and stuff like that, I love it. I love that part. That's just really good props work. Um, but what I'm saying is that, like, Q put them in front of the beast. The beast took a chunk out of them. And it's like a cat that's scared to run away because if you change the circumstances, they might go after you even harder. And I'm like, well, just go. Uh, my impression is that what he is is something that understands that the Enterprise is going to be something integral to the evolution of everything. But at the same time, he wants to be a part of it. But he's showing them one of their biggest adversaries in advance before having to find out about it before it's too late. I appreciate that line of logic. That's a good thought. I may, I don't know if I ever thought of that before. If I did, I forgot. I, I, I just really feel like he impressive. just wants, like, okay, these. this is a, a band. Just let me play the triangle. I'll play the accordion. I'll, I'll play like a, so just let me be part of your, your troop. But in order to do that, let me show you some stuff you don't know yet before it's too late. That way we can kick some ass when it happens. Is that weird or is that wrong? Is that wrong reasoning? Yeah. No, I, it's, it's an interesting analogy. Like, Oh, call me, no, call me, yeah, love that guy, uh, love, Ryan. love me some meanie. Um, call me, meanie. I know, right? <laughs> Happy St. Patrick Stewart's Day. Oh, that console looks totally different than I recall it, because it's up on the side sweat. That's rad. I loved cleaning those things up and rewiring them to, to uh, light up for the auction. Those things are just beautiful. We always made way more money when we put the time in. Now you also <laughs> notice their really? phasers are different. Well, than, they didn't have the pouches. Episodes. They weren't in the pouches. Well, yeah, their they, phasers. I, I, they've got some. Oh, I don't want you to misunderstand. When we were talking about uh, props and phasers in one of the other episodes, those are the hero props. So if you have background performers who are wearing prop uh, phasers and tricorders they might just be if they don't call for in the in the script these guys pulling these things out and using them right. they might just be painted molded foam rubber that slide into those those loops on their uniforms and then look at all these borg i love that there are so many different type of borg borg are like fingerprints and snowflakes there's never one that's exactly like another one and unfortunately the playmates toys uh, right. that eventually got the license for Star Trek never really did anything with that. If you had a name character Borg that needed to have a particular mold done of it, then they would do it, but generally they printed or they, they molded and then they remolded and remolded the same Borg. This is more detailed than the Matrix. This is what I would imagine walking around the, uh, the fields where they grow the humans. Oh, right, yeah. Someone had a lot of fun on this. Oh man, I mean, you think of the money they put into this these sets. This is a small set that you can, and it's because it's so um, amorphous. You could shoot this so many different angles, and you could change the backlighting, and you could turn these cool gadgets on in the background, and then turn them off, and flip back and forth. 
and you can get a lot. Out yeah, because like there's those scenes where like they go to an alien planet, and you can tell it's star from rocks. But man, they really, they really put heart oh, and soul man, in this yeah, one. And you can tell it's only probably like maybe 15 mm-hmm. feet of a actually uh, of a of a set, but they keep reusing it so perfectly. Yeah, different light, different lighting, just like you said. The lights. Yeah. I'm. In, I. Oh, look at this pull away shot. This is great. Because this is, you know, this is a superimposed into a a like a, uh, a, a plate like a matte plate shot. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Look at the distance. It's just. Oh my goodness. This makes me. Th- this is so good, and it makes me think of uh, V in 1983. Um, the scene where Mark Singer, the Beastmaster, who is portraying Mike Donovan, or is it, yeah, Mike Donovan, the uh, Han Solo esque character in the series, finds the part of the visitor ship that has all of the stored people in cryostasis and then all the water. Beautiful shot. This is the only ever time, only time we ever see babies. They're not Can give birth. Babies. They're, they're, they're taking the things and assimilating, right? Yeah, they're assimilating so, them from They're in the NICU. They're in I, the, I don't think that they're... They're in the nursery. This is... Yeah. I hate the floor here, though. This this is a this, I feel like this is the only failure of the Borg ship is that the floor the floor unfortunately to me looks like a soundstage. I almost wish that kid were asleep right now too because being alive is jarring. I agree. Or not alive, but awake. And why wouldn't they Sorry, take the baby? It's not <laughs> prime directive, buddy. No telling. And they don't know. I mean, it's the same thing. Maybe that's the thing I'm not getting. Why is the Enterprise not running away from this situation? Why aren't the Borg bothering with them? Well, no one's, other than no one's attacked anybody. No one's and attacked so anybody. When you change the like, well, the Borg do not care about individuals, at least until the script says they do, usually in Voyager episodes. But, um, uh, get them out of there. Suddenly, Captain Picard is excited about getting them out of there. I love the responsibility that they put on Wesley. And he's not even a Federation officer yet, or even yeah. in the actual Federation yet. He's bi- well, yeah, that's oh, what he's a Federation in, in citizen. He's not in he's Starfleet. Starfleet. He's not in Starfleet. Yeah, of course. As of that whole fit- fixes itself. That's awesome. I love this shot. It's a little bit. It's unfortunately a little bit cheeseball, and I know that that's the limitation of special effects in a TV series, but I figure what they did was they filmed, they made a piece, they made that model, and then they heated it up. They, like, hit it with something that melted it down a bit, and then they just, they filmed it, and then they depicted it to us in reverse. I I wonder if that's how they did it. If I had Mike on the phone, I'd uh, ask him about it. 
We've already, we know your weapons. Nothing we don't happens. care about them anymore. We fix it. Exactly. Look how, I mean, look at those, the screens in the back, too. Oh. <laughs> Q was back there the whole time. Yeah, I really love the uh, on-screen animation back there. It's not animation, per se. It's actually translates. It's just really good. Look how fast the Enterprise feels like it's moving. It's funny because like if if it can follow that fast, it can overtake. But it's still following. They don't want to. They don't want to overtake. I think they want to. Uh, they're you're using weapons designed to drain their shields. We don't need to overtake you. We want to knock your shields down. We're going to wear you down. You're not going to be able to go anywhere. And then we'll hit you with something that guarantees you're not going to be able to restart anything. Because overtaking them does nothing. What, are you going to get in front of them? You know, the Enterprise could just change direction. It's like a riptide. What do you want to do? You, want to, you don't want to try to swim to shore. You, want to, you need to go left or right. But it's not going to make any difference in space. Left or right, up or down, for that matter. The Z-axis. It's crazy because we're watching the board ship take these hits, but we're not seeing any kind of shields. Well, they wouldn't need shields if they've already accommodated to the type of violence that can be inflicted on them on by one particular person. They know what's going to happen, so they can already accommodate for it. We already know what you're going to do. It's not gonna, we've already figured out how to make sure it doesn't hurt us. Yeah. I gotta say, yeah. even for what did you say? This is 1989. Even I mean, for I have I take issue with some of the special effects. Of course, I'm not a great special effects person or anything, but. There are some really clunky effects in this episode that, for an episode that needed so much, new interiors, new alien species that you needed to see many, many multiples of, despite the fact that they don't have to get up and move, they still needed all those costumes and all the, all that special effects makeup, and then to have this new model and all these effect shots outside of it, this is amazing. I don't know what you could have doubled the budget and made it look perfect. It would have been worth it, but what would where would we have lost it? What how many other bottle episodes would we have needed to make in this season to make that happen? You wanted to show us. You wanted to show us that we were inadequate for the moment. For the moment. Now, Captain Picard is perfect in this moment. I need you. I need you. That's all I needed to hear, buddy. <laughs> yes. So what you don't know, Joshua, is the uh, the reason. So if if I like what you were saying earlier about Q saying I'm going to put you in front of these guys so you can start preparing for them, because there is a a difficult thing to think about where that Voyager does, where they have. Really? Voyager has a Borg crewman. I can I can believe that. Like a few seasons, right? And yeah, well, you know, they're in the Delta Quadrant, so they're going to come across the Borg, and so they have a Borg crewman, and uh, 
they fi- they figure out that she is human and that her parents were Federation scientists who went into the Delta Quadrant, you know, however the hell that happened, and um, they got there to study the Borg in particular. But at that point, the Borg were just rumor. And in that, after all of that stuff, they would have left to go to the Delta Quadrant years in story time before this episode. So people believe in the Borg like we believe in Bigfoot. Ah, we don't know if it really exists, and you you don't know what to think about. But then you go back to Enterprise. Enterprise, which takes place, what, uh, geez, 150 years-ish? It takes place in like 2151 through 54, if I'm not mistaken. Uh... And this is this is like what twenty three sixty four or something like that. Um, yeah, it's that the Borg have a moment in a series that is a prequel to this, uh, and you know before the next the original series. So there are Borg things that happen all the time. The Borg, this is where it hit. The Borg are finally realized as something that is you can't destroy. And they're way too powerful, and you don't know how you're going to cope with them. So Q putting them in front of them to say, hey, Captain Picard, you're somebody that your Federation is going to take seriously. We're going to do this whole thing, and then you're going to go home, and you're going to be ready for this. Because they're coming, whether I put you in front of them or not. Because there is a paradox in play here. And it it happens... Because of Star Trek First Contact. So in the multiple years of storyline that happened right. between this episode and that movie, there is a time paradox, and uh, you will eventually be allowed to understand. No, we'll get to that. I, mean, I don't know if you want me to spoil it or, or what. Okay, great. So people, if you've got a, you know, our subscribers and our friends and fans and listeners, if you got any, if you know, you want a specific question answered about that stuff just hit me up but of course there's obviously places to go check I, I, memory alpha is a great wikipedia page and uh i gotta stop it before uh plays into the next episode samaritan snare <laughs> yeah that's the one we were talking the next episode is the one with the pack leads and uh that's the one that uh, joshua and i were talking about on uh, before we got uh, all of it. excited about doing this today. Yeah. My favorite thing about the uh, Pac-Led episode, Snared and Snare, definitely that one of the Pac-Leds is performed by uh, the voice actor who was both Cobra Commander <laughs> and Starscream. We are strong. Cobra Commander from... Oh, yeah. Cobra Commander from G.I. Joe cartoons and Starscream from Transformers cartoons. Let me see if I can get his name. I'm pretty sure it's Christopher Collins. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember finding that uniform in the collection at the Star Trek uh, auction and really having an emotional moment over it. Yeah, his name was Christopher Collins. He played Greb <laughs> Space dummies. <laughs> they are kind of space dummies. Well, they don't even have his picture here. Yeah, he, he unfortunately died in 1994. 
Oh, da, 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 they've got it here. Um, he died at the age of 44. Oh, that sucks. He had a cerebral hemorrhage. It says, although comments made by some of his friends and co-workers suggest Collins had personal issues which may have played a part in his untimely death. That stands a chance. Well, everyone's addicted to something, man. Just coffee. Coffee on my end. Yeah, I mean, um, what's your takeaway for this one, then? I really love what you I, said about Q. I just think he wants to be part of it. I think he acknowledges that of. these people are important. And not just important in the sense that they're going to figure something out, but that these people are going to do something that is going to benefit everybody. And he wants a part of it. And he knows it. That's an interesting take, and I think that 0% of fans will agree with you, but I really like that that's where you are with it, and I I could see some wily author writing it out that way sometime. Because all of the evidence in all all of the episodes with Q and all of the secondary continuity stuff Nobody has ever done anything like that huh? uh, that I recall. But um, it is a great idea because even the motivation is well. Totally that's all I there. got, man. That's uh, that's how I feel. No, that's great. I love it because it's like, what if the Q are humanity when they evolve into being like fifth dimensional beings or something? Because if that if that was the case, they could exist at all points in time and space simultaneously, and there's no reason why Q isn't the Captain Picard of he's just so wacky. Generation, it's, of it's Q hard continue. to like think of that because he's just so wacky, mm-hmm. and that's like the only word I can think of. <laughs> he, he, yeah, my dad hated watching episodes with him. He was like, ah, oh, it's just. Another Q episode. Why? <laughs> but. Exactly. It was just, and I don't think he ever appreciated the reality of what Q was doing for him. But I will tell you this. There's an episode uh, in, uh, oh man, I don't know what season it is. It's much later. You Okay, Samaritan Snare. Captain Picard tells Wesley more right. or less why he has an artificial heart. There's an episode that you will watch ultimately, and I think all of our fans and subscribers will know this, uh, wherein Q will, for lack of a better term, mess with Captain Picard over that incident. And you will, you personally are, I think, going to love that episode. Whereupon you are. Well, I can't wait. But and you're going to know it when you see it. Especially if you know that I'm particularly going to love it. That's going to be great. No, I, I, you 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 said the most you've said about Next Generation so far is how much you enjoy watching Riker and how much you enjoy Q episodes. And here we are reviewing a second Q episode. Well, I also love watching Wesley Hall we uh, from just some squirrely kid to someone that has an actual influence, even though he's not an actual member of Starfleet. He's still, he's still deep in it, and it, it, I love when they're like, yeah, hey, "I'm yeah. gonna go take this test." Like, dude, why are you even taking the test? You're already, you're already, you're already hitting the buttons. 
to make the ship run. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, let's see what you got. Yeah. But uh, we already know where you're going to end up, buddy. It's going to be great. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. Wesley. Yeah. I'll tell you this. Uh, Will Wheaton would, as a performer, hey, pretty cool. will never let you down. And Wesley Crusher will never let you down. Will. But the producers and the writers are going to disappoint you fiercely. Because, I don't know, man, the fans back then were really frustrated with this kid at a certain at a certain point. And uh, I think that the writers bowed to some pressure. So we'll see how you feel about that. All I know is, is that I'm enjoying everything I'm watching and recording it and having a good time. You got any totally, uh, I love talking about this, it. After watching it from probably the fifth, eighth time. Oh man, I mean, yeah, this is the lo- this this is the beginning of a huge story arc that trans. It, it goes way beyond just Star Trek. You can ask people who aren't really aware of Star Trek about the Borg, and they are at least aware of the Borg because, you know, maybe they don't know who. Wesley is. Maybe they don't know who Jordy is. Maybe they, you know, but people, they're aware of Captain Picard. They're aware of Captain Kirk. Everybody knows who Spock is, you know, but then you say like, oh, the Klingons are like, oh yeah, those are the bad guys on Star Trek. You say like, oh, the Borg, yeah, they're the bad guys on Star Trek. I'm not sure that people who aren't aware of Star Trek are aware of the Romulans. Like they have that, that out of, out of the continuity understanding. But the Borg are big, scary bad guys, and they pretty much stay stay that way. And uh, what I read earlier when I was thinking about this was they are uh, they only did five episodes of the of Borg on Next Generation because they constantly had to figure out a new way to deal with them. And then First Contact comes along, more or less defangs them in the best possible way, and then. Uh, Voyager defanged them every time they showed up. It seems. So I love doing this. I I just love doing this. This is this is important. Do? This is important. This is true storytelling. <laughs> this this means this means things. Yeah, this is to people. great. Stuff. And not just like I like the character, but you can't say to anyone that I like Star Trek. It's it's different for the people that are really that deep it's not that i like star trek the prime directive literally governs my life you have to realize that their their form of uh you know well not just non-interference but just like how they govern their day-to-day lives and especially how starfleet performs even in the most uh antagonistic of situations when there doesn't seem to be a lot of options Everyone always does their best to perform at their highest maximum capability to make sure to make sure that that's completely true. even though I want this or I don't want this. This is what our way of life says we have to do. And when it all comes together, it comes together. That's that's it just blows me away. I love it. But that's all I got, man. Yeah. All right, man. 
All right, folks, we will uh, adjourn for the day. We'll uh, sync our two pieces together because we had a little technical issue in the middle of it. And, um, yeah, thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.